Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Well, another exciting week of football just gone by, Jeff. But before we get our teeth into that, your trivia question. Okay, the question this week is, according to FIFA and the Football Association, which is the world's oldest football club? All right, we'll find out all about that at the end of the show. So, Jeff, let's start with your team, West Ham, who got, I think, probably a credible draw against Man City. Sorry, I, I, I think you're labouring under a misapprehension there. I think City scraped a draw at, <laughs> at, at West Ham. Well, let's talk about, I mean, West Ham now unbeaten in how many is it? Four? Five? Pretty good. Uh, West Ham in the top half of the table, early days. But what do you make? Moyes was back. What do you make of his tactics? Anything changed? No, sadly, nothing's changed. And, and I do think he just he just got away with it. If you watch the match, we were we sat too deep. We invited them on far too much, and their goal was uh, a, a repeat of the the first two Tottenham goals the week before, where a centre forward dropped ten yards deep and no West Ham player covered him. Until Moyes starts to become attacking, put Hallow on the pitch and start with attacking intent, it isn't really going to get much better. I think City should have won that match. Although if we had got a, that Stonewall penalty, which uh, I cannot understand why it wasn't even sent to VAR. We would have won the match 1-0, but it would have been lucky for Moyes. You have to be honest. Okay, so we think West Ham more of the same. I think we had two games this week where two unbeaten teams lost for the first time in the season. Southampton beat Everton. Now, we like the look of Southampton, don't we? Uh, one of the other games on Saturday was Fulham against Crystal Palace. 2-1 to Crystal Palace. Fulham had Kamara sent off in the 88th minute for a tackle where he basically dug his, his, dug his studs in to the heel of the attacking player and got sent off. Gary Lineker said that really that shouldn't be a red card, it should be a yellow card, because if you're chasing a player and you happen to catch him on the studs, um, he said that means you can't chase down a player anymore. Uh, he's absolutely correct if that is what had happened, but it wasn't. You saw the intent from the player to stamp down on his Achilles tendon. It, that was a red card every day, and, and there isn't a punishment strong enough for someone who does that. That can end somebody's career. Okay, but uh, nevertheless, Crystal Palace flying high in the league, beating Fulham 2-1 away. I mean, everybody's going to beat Fulham, aren't they? They're done for. Oh, absolutely, and the, the, the only surprise in that match was that Palace only got two and Fulham managed to score. If, if you saw Parker's face immediately after the playoff match where they won to, to go into the Premier League you, you'll see what the problem is he thought oh my god this is going to be bad and and it will be yeah he obviously knew that it was going to be a step too far for them maybe too early maybe he wanted another season in the championship uh, he'll get it <laughs> next next season well he won't because he'll be gone oh yeah he won't be there good point uh, the other games uh, on Saturday Manchester United against Chelsea our friend Kirk Kirk Blows is a West Ham fan and he sat and watched it with myself and David, Honest Dave, who is a Man United fan, from the kickoff right through to the final whistle, Kirk get, kept saying, and this is now his catchphrase, this has got nil-nil written all over it. Now, considering that, I think we'd had a nil-nil up until then, it was a, a brave a brave statement to make, but he was right. Yeah, I mean, L Lampard set out for nil and, <laughs> and, and, and got it, and, and unfortunately affected the attacking half of his team, but it was important for him to show that Chelsea could keep a clean sheet, as they did against Sevilla earlier in the week he picked the pretty much the same team in the same formation and got what he wanted the the, the problem is much more Solskjaer's I mean he's playing at home you expect them to attack but Manchester United can't attack they've shown that all this season they can break away they can absorb 
pressure and break away. But when the team sits back and says, OK, what have you got? The answer is nothing. Yeah, they look pretty toothless, Manchester United. But then Chelsea weren't very impressive either. There was an incident in that and Frank Lampard was not happy about it. Azpilicueta uh, was hauled to the ground by Harry Maguire. Got form already uh, on and off the football pitch. Uh, it was uh, basically, it was like, almost like a bear hug that he, he pulled the fella to the ground. Lampard said it was a clear he- uh, clear penalty. Holding is allowed, but headlocks aren't. Yeah, it was a stonewall penalty. The, the, you know, I, I defy anybody to look at that and say anything else. And why the referee did not give it, I do not understand. It was the same as the previous week with Pickford's assault on Van Dyke. How can a referee six yards away can with a completely clear view of it not give it and how can VAR not give it again we think VAR um, really not up to its job one thing that I did notice in that game because United did attack and they had quite a few shots and Mendy Eduardo Mendy uh, had a blinder of a game yeah he's, he's a good goalkeeper he was um he was picked by Pieter Cech, who is now the fourth choice goalkeeper at Chelsea, which does lead you to think, you know, why do you need someone established like him as a fourth choice goalkeeper unless he's like the spy in the camp? He's there at training all the time to tell, um, tell Abramovich and his, uh, his assistant Granjovskaya what's going on. This is the only thing I can think of. Um, he is fit. He's been playing as goal goalkeeper for one of the uh, ice hockey teams in the English Ice Hockey League. So his, you know, his reflexes are up to it and he's fit. He would certainly be better than Kepa if, uh, if Mendy was injured. Well, if Mendy gets injured, yeah, they don't want to bring... Because he's going to stay, isn't he, now, Mendy, in between the sticks. He looked, he did look very good. He did look very good. And he's very young as well, by the way. Peter Cech, not so much. 39, 38. But surely, if he's in the squad, and he's in the Premier League squad, you know, you've got a limited amount of spaces. Does that not say that Kepa's on his way out, then? Well, it certainly says there's there's no place for you here, son, doesn't it? Um, whether they can get rid of him or not, I don't know. It's, they're going to have to take a huge, huge loss on him if they want to sell him. They might be able to ship him out on loan for a a third of his current wages, maybe. If you're going to lose one of your 25 places in the squad, I mean, they're valuable places. It can only be because Granovskaya wants to know what's happening in training. Yeah, so we think uh, we think that's his, he's a spy in the camp. He's management after all. So I'm sure he knows where his loyalties lie. Oh, I'm sure he's been told where his loyalties lie. But that was nil-nil between uh, Man United and Chelsea. They had a very bad run of form, Man United, when they beat PSG last year in the Champions League. So, so I said he was pleased that they didn't do that this time, that they managed to get a point. But a point at home against Chelsea or anybody else doesn't really show any change in form for them. I mean, they had a good game against PSG, but they haven't been good in the league. And how many games is it since they won at home? It's five, is it? I mean, it's unquestionably something very badly wrong at Manchester United. A number of the players have been telling any any journalist who will listen that, that you know, Solskjaer isn't up to it. They they don't understand training. That They think it's, what the word was used was rudimentary training. So you didn't know that Premier League footballers could say words like rudimentary, did you? But it's, it's probably Van der Beek because the Dutch are very good. Dutch are very good at languages, aren't they? Why is Van der Beek not playing? Anybody who's watched Ajax over the last two years will say he's, he probably should be the first name on the team sheet. Yeah, there's something wrong there. I mean, Solskjaer was quite happy with the nil-nil. I mean, he said it's a point on the board again against a good team we didn't want to see a slide after playing PSG yeah but a point on the board being a positive is is the language of managers of teams who are in the relegation fight when when you're looking for the top it's two points dropped 
not a point gained. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, they are three without a win at home, at home this season, which may, makes that their worst run since 1972. Not to mention, as you said, the five games, you know, stretching back, despite the PSG when I don't think Solskjaer's long for that job. Well, as I said before, I do hope he is. I, I hope they keep him for the for the rest of the season and next season and, and onwards, which shows you what I think about Solskjaer. Then we had Southampton beating Everton. Now, Everton unbeaten, top of the league, which they still are. But uh, Southampton looking very good, actually. And Everton finally losing. And Ancelotti complaining about a red card. That's hilarious, isn't it? Um, was he complaining about the lack of red card the week before with Pickford? I mean, m- maybe he can go to the Premier League and say, look, I'll, I'll exchange the red card that should have happened this week for the one last week. I mean, it's just complete and total hypocrisy, isn't it? He deserves everything he gets behaving like that. He's, I thought he was better than that. But Southampton have looked very good. And I did predict that result. Yeah, I did. They've been due a good result. That you know, they've been due a result that turns their performance into points, and they thoroughly deserved it. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, it's almost exactly a year to the day when they were beaten nine nil by Leicester at home, and the Southampton board not only stuck with their manager, he's still there, but they actually lost, I think it was the next four games after that Leicester debacle, and they still stuck with him, and now they're a contender for a European place. Yeah, there, there is a lesson there for, uh, for football directors, and after that 9-0, Alex Ferguson telephoned Hasenhutl and said, you keep doing what you're doing, you're doing it right, don't worry, it will, it will come good, which I think is great of Ferguson to do, and it built up Hasenhutl's confidence when he was obviously looking at himself a bit and thinking... Uh, maybe we should we should call this a day but you, you've got to give credit to Southampton's directors for sticking by him him for sticking by himself and carried on believing what he believes and instilled it into the players the couple of changes they've made this season look to be very positive bringing in some experience into that team and players who understand what he's talking about so fair play to them I, I was really pleased with that result yeah well done to them Ancelotti yes complaining he said the red card was a joke he reckons that because there was a lot of talk across according to him, all week about Pickford and Richardson against Liverpool. He thinks that affected the decision. To lose a player for three games like this is not fair. I'm sure Jürgen Klopp would say the same about Van Dijk. Yeah, who's going to lose for, what, 30 games? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Ancelotti would be well advised to be quiet in situations like that. He's not helping himself. Wolves and Newcastle drew one all. I don't know what we can say about that, really, what we can draw from that, but Newcastle actually getting a point away from home. Yeah, a fairly late late equaliser for Newcastle, which rescued rescued a point that, that they didn't deserve. Um, it's up to Wolves to score more goals when they're ahead. It's, there's no point dominating much if you don't put the ball in the net. And, you know, it, it, I was about to say 1-0 is a dangerous scoreline, but of course we know now that 3-0 is the dangerous scoreline. <laughs> the golden rule of football is when you're on top, you've got to score, and they didn't score enough for yeah, uh, the best, I mean, for me, the highlight, what the second highlight, I suppose, because Tottenham also won, but this score uh, I enjoyed quite a lot was Arsenal nil, Leicester 1. Now, some Arsenal fans might say, oh, well, you know, Vardy came off the bench and scored, it was only because of that. But Leicester and Brendan Rodgers, credit to him, had a game plan against uh, Arteta and Arsenal, which worked, stifled them out. They had, I think it was 11 shots on target in the first half and one in the second, and I think Leicester played a very good game there. They did, but I don't understand the Arsenal fans' comments about Vardy. So, so they're saying that 
Leicester only won because they put a Leicester player on the pitch. <laughs> well, I think putting 11 players on the pitch helped, but no, what a, what a stupid, stupid thing to say. The, the question people should be asking is, why won't the groundsman play Aubameyang in his proper position? I mean, something that I won't mention, Jeff, because it'll upset people. Their best player that they're persuaded to stay, Aubameyang, I won't mention it, hasn't scored, oh, I've mentioned it, hasn't scored for five games. And what's happened? Is he just gone off the ball? Well, Aubameyang is, is a genuine world-class centre-forward who plays down the inside left channel. So the groundsman, thinking he's clever like Guardiola, who he's trying to copy, has decided to play him as a left, wide left-sided forward, in other words, a left winger and a right winger, five times this season, instead of playing him in his proper position. So that is why Aubameyang is not scoring. It's not a case of players aren't finding him, because he isn't there to be found. He's now supposed to be the player doing the finding. And if you want a creative midfield player, here's a suggestion, Arteta, put one on the pitch. You know, somebody like... I don't know, Ozil, for example, world-class inside forward who could play those through balls to Aubameyang, which he always used to receive in uh, in Dortmund and received for the Wanderers in the past few years, but not now under the genius groundsman. But I, I, I do think it's important that you didn't mention that Aubameyang hasn't scored for five matches because that will just upset Arsenal fans. You don't want to mention that. No, I won't mention that Aubameyang hasn't scored in five matches. I won't do that. But let's get back to a point you just mentioned there. Ozil, Mesut Ozil, not only left out of the Europa League squad for Arsenal, but left out of the Premier League squad, which means he can only play for the under-23s. He sat there on silly money every week. He can only leave it whenever, whenever it is. But he's there till at least January now, doing nothing. Great player. A lot of vitriol about uh, him doing that and sitting and getting all his money. And a lot of lot of uh, anti-Arteta and anti-Arsenal anti, anti -Arsenal board, I suppose, comments as well. So there's both sides of the story. Also actually tweeted before the game, I predict 2-1 to, to the mighty gunners, something like that. Good luck, boys. Now, I'm not sure if he was trolling them or, or honestly supporting them. But he sat there. He's, he said that he thinks he's been unfairly treated, as has his agent. Arteta said his conscience is clear. But why, why, why have they done that? Well, that, that is a mystery, isn't it? One of the journalists last week, um, one of the ones who, who doesn't actually do gossip but genuinely speaks to the players, said, and, and I quote, Ozil's colleagues felt similarly baffled at his exclusion, which comes at a time when Arsenal lack a creative outlet. See previous comments about Aubameyang. Uh, the quote was, I spoke with at least five teammates who say he's training great. Mesut is one of their best players and they cannot understand why he's left out. So it can't be the training. If it's not on the pitch... What are the reasons? And I, I think you have to come back to his comments about the Uyghur Muslims as being the reason for it. It's got nothing to do with football. Here is a player they're paying £350,000 a week to, and they desperately need on the pitch, and they won't pick him. Now, the fault of that is 100% Arsenal's fault. Ozil has no fault in this at all, not even 0.1% of it. He's a great player. He should be playing. If you don't want to play him, sell him. Yes, Ozil has come under a lot of stick and pressure from fans and journalists and people in general going back to those comments uh, about the, the Muslims in China, going back to him refusing to take what would be a deferred 
pay cut, I suppose, during uh, the lockdown. But let's not forget, he wasn't the only Arsenal player to to refuse that deferment. Yeah, he was the one that was picked on, but he, yeah, a lot of them actually refused it. It wasn't just him, there were several of them. He was the, the one that, that faced up to all the trolling from everybody over that. He had his reasons, actually, um, which he explained, and they were quite reasonable. And those reasons have been proven to be true. He said that the reason for doing it was that he didn't believe that it would protect any jobs at the Arsenal. And the Arsenal then went afterwards and made 55 people redundant. So they proved us all to be completely right. Yeah, so that's number one, unfair. I mean, I'm not a fan of Ozil. I'm not a fan of Arsenal. Absolutely not. Tottenham fan, so obviously anything bad that happens there, I'm, I'm going to enjoy to some extent. Um, but I don't particularly like him. But he is a creative player. He is a highly paid player. And he's a player they probably need. And yet he's been punished for some political commentary, which he and everybody else is entitled to, as long as there's not some sort of horrible far-right extremism coming out. But he's been, he's been punished for that, and those comments were a long time ago as well. They were, and don't you think it's a bit rich for a club that's got Visit Rwanda stuck on, stuck on their shirts to be criticising a player for, for making a comment about people being murdered in China? Yeah, I mean, his comments were sort of a, a human rights plea. He was actually talking about, you know, people being, as you say, murdered. He was actually saying how terrible it is. Saying it's bad that people are being um, discriminated against in such a violent way. I don't see why should be pun anybody should be punished for those sort of comments. And he's a young man and he's, you know, he's allowed to his opinion. But all this time down the line and you think that's the reason because they can't, I can't think why else you wouldn't have Mesut Ozil in your squad. I wouldn't have him at Tottenham, to be honest. But I think he's, he's a good enough player to be in the Arsenal squad. Yeah, as, as those five or more Arsenal players have said there is no footballing reason why he's not in the squad in fact why he's not playing he is exactly the sort of creative midfield player they need to set Obama Young free to score 30 goals a season that, that's why Obama Young went there wasn't it to team up with Azul to, to score all those goals and so it's got nothing to do with football look everyone that's seen them seen training at Arsenal agrees with that so it's something else and what else can it be and what about the comment that Ozil's sitting there earning all this money and he could have moved on how could he move on exactly I mean there, there has to be another another club to come in for him which hasn't happened so uh, how can you blame the player for not moving on unless somebody's made an offer and he's turned it down that hasn't happened so uh, how can any blame attach to Ozil yeah, as far as I know, I don't think he, ha he has, certainly hasn't turned anything down. He's I mean, a bit like Gareth Bale at Real Madrid, who even tried to move to China and they blocked it and didn't play him. Punishing somebody, I mean, if it had been some unpleasant comments, I would understand it. But punishing somebody for some comments has got nothing to do with football and it's only Arsenal and their fans who lose out, which is a terrible shame. I can't even say that. <laughs> but, so, you know, so great, fantastic news. That's uh, terrible news for football, really. Then we move on to uh, games from last night. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, Brighton against West Brom. Brighton went ahead from some very comical defending from West Brom and an own goal. And then West Brom equalised quite late on to get another point on the board. The other game was <laughs> my team Tottenham away at Burnley. Now, I was fearful that we might lose that because Burnley can make playing against them very, very difficult. 
Tottenham won. It wasn't pretty. It was a pretty ugly Dallas game. I mean, I think the first shot on target from either side was well into the first half, 30-odd minutes in. Not a lot for Luis to do in goal throughout the game. Burnley sat back and just soaked, soaked up the pressure. They, I think they were looking for a point, Burnley. They knew what Tottenham's attacking pace can be like, and I think they just... One of the commentators on the BBC said Harry Kane's, you know, jinking into the box, but Tottenham are finding it very hard when so many players, constantly Burnley players, so tightly packed and, and so close together. Yeah, I mean, Sean Dyche is a, is a very, very good manager. He's very intelligent and he knows that if you want to, to stop this Tottenham team from scoring, then you cannot allow any space behind you. So drop deep, keep the game in front of you, have at least eight or nine behind the ball and it's going to be very, very difficult. And that that's what he did. And you, you can't criticise him for it. It's just common sense. You know, he, he was aiming to get a point from that match and every point is going to be important to Burnley. Yeah, but the partnership of Son Kun Min and Harry Kane, that happened again for Tottenham. I think they have now, since they started working together, 29 times they've combined for a Premier League goal. Son is now the division's leading scorer with eight goals. Something else I will not mention, something else I won't mention is that uh, also on eight goals is the entire Arsenal team. Yeah, you, you shouldn't mention that because it might upset the Wanderers fans if you if you mention that they've only got as many goals as Son Heung-min, which is how many? Eight, is it? Eight, eight he's got and, and the Wanderers have only got eight. Yeah, don't mention that. No, I won't mention that. Son has got eight goals as so the entire Arsenal team. But again, brilliant play from... Uh, from that pair I mean they've got 29 uh, they've linked up for 29 league goals together in total Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba throughout their career between them had 36 so that partnership is electric and Harry Kane quite arguably one of the best players in the world currently I quite like Jose Mourinho's comments after the game he was asked about this magical partnership between Kane and Son and he said well it's an understanding that comes from Mauricio Pochettino's time I don't want to take all the credit myself let's share it with Mauricio Pochettino they've been playing together for a long time and the thing that, that Mourinho is, is hinting at there is that he has set Kane free because we know that Kane wanted to play in that position under Pochettino drop back and play as a number 10 not a number 9 and Pochettino didn't want him to so yeah, let's give Mourinho a bit of credit he's he, he's just looked at it and he's clever enough to say okay if it ain't broke don't fix it okay you want to play like that you go ahead and the goals are there so it proves it works he did add on to that, so yeah, it's a bit different now because Harry isn't always playing as a nine. I mean, he's playing all over the park, I and mean, he headed a ball off the line to save us from going a goal down against Burnley, so, but he is playing where he wants to, Harry Kane now, and when a player is doing what he wants, he plays better. Yeah, I think that quite a lot of the motivation for Kane is, is the realisation that as a, as a number nine, as a target man, you get a, a lot more stick from defenders. I mean, you get kicked a lot, and if anybody wants to check it, just spend the match watching the centre forward of a team and see how often he gets kicked and punched it's quite amazing but the 10 who drops off a little bit into that piece of space the space that he dropped into against West Ham to, to play Song Hoon Min in for the goal you get kicked less there so I think there's there's an element of Kane thinking, you know, I've taken an awful lot of injuries in the past few years. This is going to prolong my career. Brilliant. So that's Tottenham uh, beating Burnley one and away. Pretty ugly game. But if you look back at previous title winners, it's those games that earn you the victories. Yeah, they haven't got a column in the in the table that says ugly wins and <laughs> and and beautiful wins. Do they? It just says three points. Yeah, well, something I do want to mention about title contenders. Gary Neville throughout that game 
constantly were saying Tottenham aren't going to win the league. They're not going to win the league. Nobody is saying Tottenham are going to win the league. Least of all, Tottenham fans, none of us as Tottenham fans, are believing that that's going to happen. I think we do dream of finishing it in the top four and winning the Europa League, which are possible. But I don't think nobody's saying that Tottenham are going to win the league. They're playing beautiful football when they're playing beautiful football, and they're winning ugly when they have to. If they hadn't thrown away the uh, the wind against West Ham, they would be top of the table. There's only six games gone. It doesn't matter. I don't see why Gary Neville is so adamant that they're not going to win the league, as if somebody's told him they are. But that, that's typical of an awful lot of the Gary Neville tweets and quotes, isn't it? And I mean, some of the ones in the last two weeks have just been risable. They've been pathetic, so I would ignore it. Tottenham aren't going to win the league, as every Tottenham fan knows. And there are Arsenal... Oh, I've done it again. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm having a bit of a bash at Arsenal is because every time Tottenham, when we drew against West Ham, despite the fact that Arsenal actually lost their game before, Arsenal fans were revelling in it. And like you said on last week's show, what's it got to do with them? They do seem, they do seem to have this obsession, so I thought I'd get me on back a little bit. Before we move away from Tottenham, I did want to just mention something that former Tottenham hero and player Jermaine Defoe scored against Livingston for Rangers up there in Scotland, making that his 300th club career goal. So well done to Jermaine Defoe. Still playing, Jeff. I must admit, I thought he'd retired, but yeah, yeah fair play to him. He's he's playing because he enjoys it, and someone will pay him to do it. Good luck to him. And it's not the Premier League, obviously, but still. And uh, another former Tottenham player left at the end of last season, Michael Michel Vaughan, Dutch goalkeeper, has retired from football at the age of 37. Quite young for a goalkeeper. I'm surprised he's retired that young. But may- maybe there's injuries there, which are the reason. He, I mean, he was part of the Swansea team that uh, came up from the Championship. He was part of that. He made 15 appearances for the Netherlands, his national team. He's been at Tottenham since 2014 and made a grand total of 48 appearances in all competitions. So quite clearly, I, um, I suppose he got to the point where he thought, I'm you know, not going to get in much further with his career, I suppose. But 48 appearances in six years is, is pretty, pretty poor. Yeah, it is. And I'm guessing his, his salary was uh, too high for a, for a number three goalkeeper so m- maybe that's what's behind it and nobody else will offer him a contract which I think is a shame he's a good goalkeeper yeah good luck to him whatever he does in the future right there's been a lot of goals we've had a couple we had two three threes last week Chelsea and Tottenham throwing away a 3-0 and 3-1 lead quite unusual amount of goals going in it's sort of settled down this weekend with a couple of 1-1s and 0-0s and 2-1s apart from yeah yesterday I think it was Milan 3 Roma 3 another 3-3 three, three, Jeff well, I mean we've discussed is it something to do with fans not being in the stadium but what is it well I think it's got nothing to do with fans not being in the stadium um, when you look at the numbers um, in the, the Premier League 3.79 goals per match average recorded this month is unprecedented the last time football in England was so prolific was 1930-31 when an average of 3.95 goals were scored per game and I think that might have been the, the year that they changed the offside law to only two behind behind the ball so maybe that's why that was so high Last season's 2019-2020 average was 2.9 goals. Now, I, I think the reason for it is that the, the coaches have had much, much less time with their defenders coaching defences because forwards need less less coaching. It's much more instinctive and creative in, in what they're doing. I mean, players are taking, on average, one and a half fewer shots than last season, but they're scoring in every six shots rather than every nine shots, 30% better. There have already been five hat-tricks from Mo Salah, Calvert-Lewin, Son Heung-min, Jamie Vardy and Ollie Watkins. And goalkeepers have gone from saving 70% of shots to saving 59, almost 
almost down at the the Kepa level. That is that pattern is uh, happens in Germany and Italy as well. But strangely, not Spain. La Liga has recorded the lowest goals per game in 93 years. So that's that's completely defying the experience everywhere else. Why? My opinion is that the, the big girls' blouses in Barcelona are playing so badly, they're not beating opposition 5-0 every week, and that's dragged down the number of goals. But that's the only thing I can think of in Spain. Yeah, it's quite exciting, all these goals going in, but obviously there is a problem with yeah, defensive coaches not having that time. You mentioned that Barcelona and Real Madrid not playing well. Uh, on Saturday, we had El Clasico. It wasn't that much of a classic. Uh, between Barcelona, who were at home against Real Madrid, it ended up it ended up Barcelona 1, Real Madrid 3. Ex-Tottenham player Modric getting a rather good goal late on to make it 3-1. But... The headline, really, for me, was Ronald Kermund, who we don't rate very much so far in his career at Barcelona. The headline, really, is that he said that VAR is only there to be used to make decisions against Barcelona. Well, Ronald Kermund would be very much better advised to concentrate on coaching his football team, wouldn't he? Um, but Because that, that's a load of rubbish. VAR is there to ensure that the big girls' blouses win, not that Barcelona lose. It just happened they're playing each other, so the two things, two things combined. Certainly, it, it's been a long time since Pepe and Ramos played together f- as, as centre-backs. Uh, it's been that long since Messi was fouled as much as he was in the first half this weekend. It was uh, it was savage. Not almost every every time he got the ball, he was fouled and kicked badly too. Not you know, not pushed to the ground. I mean, they were they were trying to injure him. And why Real Madrid had eleven players on the pitch at halftime? I, I do not understand. It was just it was savage. The, yes, I mean VAR was was probably culpable in that, and it, it it was a little bit unfortunate for Barcelona. But that is papering over the cracks as far as I'm concerned. Barcelona have picked up seven points from five games, seven out of 15. I don't think you can blame VAR for all of them, although Coleman actually is. Yeah, well, it, it suits Coleman, doesn't it? Because then you don't have to focus on how bad a manager he is. But all the problems that we talked about for the last six months at Barcelona just coming out on the pitch. You're seeing on the pitch the shambles that's behind the scenes. And the more Coleman opens his mouth, the the worse. It, the worse it gets. It, it really does appear to me that they're, they're desperately trying to make Messi leave as, as the only way that Bartomeu can basically stay out of prison. Uh, if this referendum they're having very soon ends up with him being kicked out, which it will do, and he leaves with the, the amount of debt that Barcelona have got at the moment, he could very easily go to prison. So they desperately need the money from selling Messi because he's the only real tradable asset they've got and they can they can forget about 700 million. Nobody's paying that. There is a chance of 200 million from somebody like Manchester City. And I think if you look at the way Coman has behaved towards Messi, ignoring him, then insulting him, then ignoring and insulting his best mate, and then coming out saying, oh, he's got to play better, etc., etc. Now, if, if Coman wanted to win, if he wanted that team to be as good as it could be, surely the first thing you do when you go in there is you sit down with Messi, you put your arm around his shoulder and say, right, how are we, how are we going to put this right and win? Tell me what you think and include him in the, in the, as part of the solution instead of saying he's the problem. Yes, I know that you're far from a fan of Jose Mourinho and you don't like the way he rinses out his players in public. You wouldn't imagine Jose Mourinho saying anything bad about Harry Kane after every match he talks about how sensational he is and how great a player he is and what a lovely person he is and that would seem to me if you've got 
possibly one of the best top five players in the world, Messi being the first and Kane being in amongst that five, you certainly don't do what Coleman said and say he should be playing better. But what does he think Messi is going to do differently after hearing that? Uh, it's, it's just extraordinary. He's a completely instinctive, instinctual, creative player. And they all work better when they're feeling confident. You try things when you feel confident because you believe you're going to succeed. When you're not feeling very confident, you try it and it fails. And that's, that happens to every footballer in almost every situation. And Kuman must know that. I cannot believe that he does not know that, which means to me that his behaviour and his treatment of Messi is, is, is deliberate. And, you know, we're talking about the best player the world's ever seen here. You know, just get him on your side. Include him in the solution. It's just, it's so obvious. One of the best players ever, let alone best player in the world currently. And I'm going to mention Kane again, but you've got Messi at number one. You've got Lewandowski, Harry Kane, flair players like this who, to whom it either comes naturally or it's they have that footballing brain and that, that special talent. If, if he's underperforming, which is what Coleman is saying about Messi, that's not something they can go away and fix on the training ground because it's instinct with Messi and you just let him get on with it. You can't say, right, we're going to work on striking from a distance or we're going to work on you know shooting from the penalty area. You wouldn't do that with Messi. So if he's not performing well, it's probably because you've treated him badly and you just need to big him up. Yeah, but he hasn't been performing badly. That's that's the stupid thing. He's still been he's still been Barcelona's best play, best player by distance. And the the relationship he's building up with with young Fatty is 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 wonderful to see. I mean, he was playing him in. They were playing each other in. They were they were sorting things out. And also Trincao as well on the right hand side. You know, there there is an awful lot of promise there. And Xavi, when when he comes in under the new president, is going to enjoy himself immensely. I think probably everybody's hoping that that'll happen and they can just move on. Will Coleman still be there? You think he'll go? Well, the the person who will challenge Bartomeu as president, if Bartomeu stands again after he loses the referendum, has said that he will bring Xavi in as manager. So, Koeman is gone. All right, probably a good thing for all round. Before we move on to what's going to be happening, Jeff, just something quickly I want to mention. In light of what Marcus Rashford, MBE, has been doing to feed children on the poverty line for various reasons, Raheem Sterling, Manchester City player, has set up a foundation aimed at helping improve the social uh, the social mobility of disadvantaged young people. Uh, they're probably going to have about 10 million immediately in the foundation from City and his sponsors and himself. And he said, basically, I'm finished with what can happen and what should happen. I'm going to try and do this stuff myself. Uh, he said, if there's a university they want to go to or football equipment they need, other such things, I want to be a helping hand. This is another young man, and I, I've seen this too much, that well, they've got loads of money, they should just for all the children to have school meals and all this kind of thing but there's a lot of people earning lots of money who aren't doing anything and Raheem Sterling coming out like Marcus Rashford and doing a wonderful thing Absolutely. It, it just shows they, they understand where they've come from and, and the issues affecting um, the people they could have become had they not been so good at football. What a shame that the hoorays in the city who earn 10 times more than professional footballers earn aren't doing anything similar. And the, the, the vile scum in the Conservative Party in Parliament voting against feeding children. I mean, it just shows you how utterly disgraceful they are. They're disgraceful as human beings. Yes, I can only agree with that absolutely spot on and then you've got these young men who don't have to be doing anything putting them to shame and actually doing their job for them so they don't have to which is kind of a bit of an issue but well done Raheem Sterling setting up a foundation to help disadvantaged young people alright let's move on to what games are coming up this weekend and our predictions now 
you got a couple right last time out. You got Southampton beating Everton, correct? And then you got the Arsenal being beaten by Leicester, which I don't think I saw coming. So the game's coming up on Saturday. Sheffield United against Manchester City. Routine for City? Well, I don't think it'll be routine against Sheffield United. They will make it very, very difficult. But City have, have got to bounce back, haven't they? they? They've got to win that. So I can't see them keeping a clean sheet, though. So, you know, if West Ham can score against City, then anybody can. So 2-1 to City, I think. Burnley-Chelsea. 2-0 to Chelsea. Yeah, I should think so. I should think so. And uh, then your lot, <laughs> West Ham United, are away at Liverpool. Well, as they say up in those parts, there's nothing down for you. So, uh, I think 3-1 Liverpool. Aston Villa against Southampton. That's a tasty draw. That's a tasty game, I mean. Will Villa bounce back from their defeat? Will Southampton kick on? Ooh, I don't know. That's going to be difficult. It's tempting to say a draw, which means that that's the one thing that won't happen. I'll go for another Southampton win. All right, I was going to say draw, but you're right. That's something that's quite unusual. 2-1 to Southampton for me. Newcastle United against Everton. Everton to bounce back as well yeah and I think they will I think um, 2-1 there 2-1 to Everton maybe 3-1 let's go 3-1 3-1 to Everton yeah if if you you have to bounce back from a game you'd like like the next one to be Newcastle I think Manchester United against Arsenal never a very friendly game no but with recent performances you've got to say that's going to be another ball draw for Manchester United five successive games at home in the Premier League where they fail to win it's got to come right at some point you would think that Manchester United's attacking players will have too much for Arsenal's defence but it depends if Arsenal attack them if Arsenal sit back and say what have you got we know Manchester United have got nothing so let's assume that Arsenal do attack and Manchester United end up winning 3-1 alright good stuff then Tottenham against Brighton 2-0 for me to Tottenham I think that will be a nice game for Tottenham to play after their European game on Thursday I'll go for 4-0 oh you think Tottenham are going to fill their boots with that one great I hope so and then we've got Fulham against West Brom two dire teams have just come up um, I mean you know the minus one minus one <laughs> I don't think West Brom are, West Brom are dire West Brom are just, just short of quality um, and if they can survive this season then things can, can get very good for them their problem is scoring goals apart from against Chelsea obviously maybe Fulham get a point out of this maybe this is the match Fulham get a point 1-1 or 2-2 2-2 oh, I think I'm going to have to agree with that then Leeds United against Leicester City which should be an interesting and fun game to watch for a neutral um, it's at Leeds I'm airing on a draw yeah the, the way Leeds the way Leeds play will suit Leicester so if, if Leeds can keep it really tight at the back and deny Vardy the space he needs to run into, Leeds can Leeds can win. Maybe maybe another 2-2 draw. And then this Friday, Southampton against Newcastle. Yeah, Southampton should win that 2-0. All right, that's just about all we've got time for. Those are our predictions. But before we say our goodbyes, Jeff's trivia question and the answer. Okay, the question was quite specific. It was according to FIFA and the FA, which is the old world's oldest football club. Um, it was founded in 1857 it joined the FA in 1863 and the answer is Sheffield FC not Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield FC brilliant congratulations to Sheffield FC the world's oldest football club absolutely brilliant we'll be back next week I'm Chris Carl and I'm Jeff Saunders and that was Hitting the Bar the football podcast <laughs>